Ah, Spain, España, Madrid, Barcelona, Seville, all the fun Spanish towns and all the fun Spanish football. Brian and ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. We're talking a little La Liga football. We're talking a little bit from the last 10 days of La Liga because it's been a minute since we did anything Spain related. And uh, obviously we're going to be talking about a little about Barcelona this past weekend, uh, putting in I believe a, a top performance. I, I don't know. Just just a subjective opinion. Um, talk a little Sevilla as well. After Bono scored a uh, ridiculous late equalizer in just a bizarre game for them, and oh where, yeah, yeah, where Real Madrid and Atletico stand too after <laughs> their Champions League uh, Champions League ties in the round of sixteen. So, Rian, you're off this week. What have you been doing in the last like three days? Have you just been sitting around lounging, doing nothing? But it, I mean, it sounds like you've been productive. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, that. yeah. Just, just no. Just, a, just a week of of uh, trying to run some personal errands. Honestly, it's been, it's, it's honestly. Uh, I think most, most of them are stuff that I probably should have done in the last like couple months. Definitely had time on certain days to do in the last couple months, but. You know, just being me, putting it off, and um, nice. and now now I'm getting them all done, and, and I feel great that I'm getting them done, and also feel like wow, this actually didn't take more than 15 minutes. I could have <laughs> done this a month and a half ago, um, but I'll take the little victories. Honestly, it's more about the commitment of like the 15 minutes. It's not like it's like the possibility that it could last like an hour, and then you actually do it, and it's like yeah, it's two seconds. But I, I feel that so hard. Like, there's definitely stuff that I need to do and I haven't even thought of doing. But because it's just, it's a mental block. It's a mental block. That's all it is. Exactly. Man, that's too real. Well, I'm glad you've uh, you had a couple good days and to yourself to chill. I am busy at work and, you know, well, it's not getting any easier. But this is my respite. This is how I, I cure my ailments by talking about Barcelona and talking about the, the woes of other Spanish teams, <laughs> apparently. Uh, a video cam therapist over here. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we do. Twice a week, Rihanna and I get together over a call just to bitch and moan about the worst things going on in our team. And it were honestly, I think my mental health has gotten better. It really has. Also, the fact that I've accepted that my club is is still in recovery phase, but whatever. That's a whole other story. Rian, why don't we why don't we talk a little actual football for a second? Um, starting off, we have to start off with Barcelona. This is this is probably the story of the weekend in Spain. A six one victory against a Sociedad side that arguably is maybe not in the best form of their lives. I mean, right now, Alex Isak you know, has scored upwards of 12 goals now in La Liga, really on an absolute tear. And, and he gave Barcelona many fits during this game. And it's not even like... Had a great play. chance. Oh, yeah. Early in the game, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Off off the De Jong um, turnover. Had a oh, really, that was really great chance. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. That's all I have to <laughs> say about that. I on, And I honestly thought he, he was in on goal at that point. And I forget if the score was 1-0 Barcelona or, or 0-0. I think it was still point, but... at 0-0. Very yeah, early. I think it was too. Because honestly, La Real didn't play poorly in this game. Like this wasn't 
it's shocking to say that about a 6-1 scoreline, but in the first half, this was a very even game. And honestly, a lot of back and forth, and it wasn't like Barcelona were really getting many chances. I mean, their XG at the half was kind of inflated, almost purely by the fact that they scored twice. (laughs) So it, it wasn't... Yeah, it wasn't all that from Barcelona in this first half. They they dominated possession and they dominated, I think, the, the phase of play in the in the final third past the halfway point, I would say. Um, but really didn't penetrate that much. But the second half is obviously when things completely opened up. I mean, so many narratives coming out of this, but my personal favorite, I mean it's probably Rion's personal favorite too, is just Sergio Dest getting a brace. Um and Sergio Dest being assisted by Messi for his first La Liga goal. <laughs> Is just it's I tweeted about this, but it's actually a thing of dreams. Like that is an American player being assisted by the greatest <laughs> player of all time at one of the best clubs in the world. That has like that is a U.S. Men's National Team just okay. oh. and it, and it capped off a beautiful move, a beautiful team move. His first goal, I should say, the first goal capped off a beautiful team move by Barcelona itself. Where I thought this was this was the best Busquets game I can remember in a while. Um, I think even in that goal, uh, Des goal, he and De Jong are the ones who kind of start off the chain of passes. They're two really smart passes, and and then obviously, um, Messi does what he does, draws the defenders in, and slips it in for for Dest, who finished. He's a really good finisher. Like I, I've been workshopping this take. He's a better finisher than Dembele for sure. I, wow, I, you really pick I, and choose I, your moments, don't you? <laughs> Jesus, man. I will stick by. I think he's a better finisher than Usman Dembele. But um, no, he was he was great. But that goal itself was beautiful, and and they got they just got better too. I mean, we can get on to like the sixth goal, which at that point I think Barcelona yeah. had like six six guys in the box almost. <laughs> there were so many men forward. Yeah, um, they just completely overloaded overloading uh, Sociedad by the end there. But I guess you just kind of saw the confidence that the team is playing with right now. It, it really encompassed in that second half. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? This team is playing with a mentality that I haven't seen since 2016. And it's this idea that in the sixth goal, I think, like you said, perfectly encapsulated it. There was no, they, they were just relentless. There was no letting up. They continued to push until the 90 minutes were completely over. And that is something that we all have to take a step back and appreciate Komen for. Like, if all the things, if anything that he has done, he has changed the mentality of this team from one being almost psychologically afraid of playing with the ball and, and dominating a game to a team that's able to actually make an impact on the field. Granted, the change, change of formation is wildly helped because I've said this, I think I, I think I said this a year and a half ago, Rian, when we, like, first started the podcast. Barcelona's biggest problem is the, their lack of natural wingers slash wingbacks. And I think this 3-5-2 formation really solves that. It's more of a 3-4-3, but it, it really does solve that issue. And that's what we saw this weekend. We saw six men in the box because fullbacks are able to attack relentlessly. That do their do what they are naturally gifted to do, right? And fits their, their profile in Jordi Alba and Sergio Dest. And of course, they have the cover of three center backs. Plus, I should say, De Jong playing in the middle of that, um, almost in the most 
Puritan, Cruyffian way possible. I mean, if you yeah. look back at, at 1992, 1993, like that era of Barcelona football when, when Johan Cruyff was, was around and, and really making his impression in the game, I mean, that's how Ronald Koeman played. Ronald Koeman was himself a ball-carrying, ball-playing center back, and he was responsible for starting it out, the ball out of defense and splitting the lines with either runs or balls over the top, and that's exactly what Frankie de Jong is doing right now. So it's clear that Frankie de Jong is, is very, very important and having a quietly remarkable season. Um, but we do also have to point out Sergio Busquets having just the revitalization of uh, Thanos in found the, like, found the, view, <laughs> the, the last Avengers. Yeah. Like it, it, it's something really, really special to see the way that he played some of these balls into Messi during this game that the assist, I just, the assist for yeah. the, the third goal, third or fourth goal, um, the assist for the third, there's the ball over the, over the top. Like, very, yeah. I mean, obviously well cushioned ball that just plays Messi in and, um, and not a goal that you see scored by Messi a lot, or a bit root one. Uh, but it was it was beautiful. It was I mean, it's really he was Busquets himself. He was he was unbelievable. It was really great to see. It's kind of turned back the clock. Yeah, and the reason why he's turned back the clock like, like that is because his responsibility is completely shifted. His responsibility went from being basically a defensive midfielder that had to cover the whole length of the pitch, both offensively and, and staying basically an attacking position to play vertical passes and also a recoverer, a recoverer of the ball in your own final, in your own third. And he is not physical enough. Let's be very clear. He is not a, like an athletic person by any means. So asking him to sprint back against, oh, I don't know, Serge Gnabry is probably not going to work out to your favor, which we all saw and found out the hard way. But when, and if you look at his heat map specifically, he spent the majority of his time in this game basically on the edge of the final third and between the midway point of the Barcelona half. That is his perfect area. He is solely responsible for, for attacking play, playing balls into Messi, playing balls into Griezmann, who, who drops deep and cycles with Messi. That's his, his strength and his forte. But when you ask him to defend like that, that lead that to Frankie de Jong. And that's part of why I think this game went so well um, for Barcelona. And it was honestly, I, it just makes me more excited for the Clasico in, in about a week and a half. Man, it, it's something we've seen time and time again in the past with, uh, with not Barcelona teams necessarily, but if your team biggest issue is you don't feel secure about them being able to defend then you move to a three men at the back and it's found a really good um good balance for this barcelona team it works perfectly like you said for jordi alba and, and sergio des both of them especially who we've seen had have issues um at earlier times in the season defending when when it's a flat back four Right and and hats off to Kuman for finding the right formation that works best for that and and when you know that there aren't necessarily two center backs that Barcelona feels like they could rely on as a partnership right now, they've thrown in uh, Mingueta who's who's been very good at protecting Sergio's side of the field, right as that right center back too. So man, I don't know, I I. 
we'll also throw this out, Elias. I'm not sure that there's a better fullback or wingback combination in Europe right now on current form in the last like month, let's say the last two months, um, than Sardinia Destin and Jordi Alba in this new 3-4-3 formation. Ooh, that's interesting. I had, I guess I hadn't thought about that. Um, I think Jordi Alba's had, has also quietly had an, had yeah. a remarkable, at least last three months. I, I agree. I agree. He's one of those aging players that, again, has almost revitalized himself, kind of like Busquets has. I don't know about fullback pairings. I, I have to go through the list, I guess, and start thinking about who else might be on there. Um, Cancelo Zinchenko is probably one that, that comes to mind. Um, I'm not going to put Trent and, you know, Robertson in, in that for right now, right? Just based on form. Um, it's not like anyone else in Spain out of fullbacks, I think is that maybe it, it might very well be that that is the case unless we just don't watch enough Syria or something like that to, uh, <laughs> right. to get a better impression. But I, I think that might be valid. Yeah. And Serginho Dest is still a young player. So he's, He's been somewhat inconsistent at times, but I mean, he is a baller. Let's be honest; like the kid yeah. can play. <laughs> I mean, basically, since since he's yeah, may, maybe like last two months or something is is a bit much. At least since he's come back from injury, yeah. Um, so let's put that like a little less than a month, right? Um, basically, yeah. He's this is a perfect position for him now, and you see how his positioning is more more simple more simplified now right and yeah you can see all we're seeing mostly all of the great stuff that he can do which is the speed that he has from that wing his finishing ability and of course his dribbling which i mean yeah there was a that one instance during the sociedad <laughs> game where he's fouled like three times by the same three or four players but he's dribbling through them the entire time um yeah i think i think it just really has been a godsend for he and Alba this with this position. I mean, they basically assisted one another for for Sabina. Yeah, right? yeah. They, they really I know. Did. I know that there was a slight touch on by the defender. Um, Doesn't count. Never but, saw it. But... <laughs> Move on. <laughs> no, yeah, that that was that was impressive. Uh, so nothing really but accolades. Quite honestly, for this Barcelona side, um, this is one of two games in the last three years, Rian, where I'll say I didn't want it to end. I mean, genuinely, like, this was just beautiful to watch. Like, I, I just didn't want the 90 minutes to be up. The other, just for context, is the Copa del Rey final um, against Sevilla in 2018-2019 season, uh, where they won 5-0. But beyond that, Champions League semifinals, quarterfinals, I was always scared shitless. Uh, this, <laughs> this game and the Sevilla game were just, yeah, that was special. So, Got a lot got to, a lot to look forward to, honestly. All right, and with you mentioning the uh, uh, Clasico coming up, I believe, what is it, the weekend after? Yeah, international yeah April 11th, I think, or whenever that weekend is, yeah. Yeah. That game now looks like a, a kind of, like, loser goes home kind of thing. Like, loser kind of puts themselves... Out of the, out of the champions, um, champions slash title race, right? Yeah. So, a, a draw maybe doesn't help either of them, honestly. Um, so, shall we 
start talking about Real Madrid and the run that they've been on. They've only lost once in the league since the turn of the year, right? And and I will still say I, there's a lot about them that I don't find convincing, but I am almost always convinced by a midfield that includes Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, and Casemiro <laughs> all together. I, I'm always I'm almost always convinced by that midfield. And right now that they've got those guys healthy and they've been playing consistently together, that that's still a great team. Obviously, right? I I, I am finding it harder to bet against them making a, a big push at the end now. Whereas I think a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I just don't see how they can push for it. Right. But there's some secret sauce when those three guys <laughs> plus Benzema and Ramos are all playing. And I think we have to give a little love to Lucas Vasquez, who's been very, very good at, um, at right back for, for Real Madrid in the last couple of months, honestly, yeah. really much better than maybe we would have expected. Um, but I don't know, Elias. How are you feeling about not El Clasico, but how are you feeling about Madrid's push for the title now? Do you think that they're on the same level in terms of viability as Barcelona right now? Yeah, this is a thing about the the Barcelona Real Madrid, I guess, rivalry that we just haven't touched on enough and. We talk about how good Barcelona, you know, Barcelona's form has been and, and Komen Ball, if you can, if you want to call it that, has, has been for this team. But they're only one point ahead of Real Madrid going into the game before the Clasico. And it's way too close for comfort still to say one team is way more favored over the other the more and more that you think about it. Now, granted, I think if you look at both teams' schedules, then it's probably easier to say that Barcelona have, I guess, the lighter of the two, mainly because of the fact that Real Madrid have two Liverpool Champions League legs in between the Clasico. But at the same time, Barcelona are really just fighting for two things. One, it's a Copa del Rey final that they're already in, and La Liga, which has, is going to take up all of their time now, between now and the end of the season. Whereas Real Madrid are really spread thin across a squad that is spread thin. And... You can play your Gala 11 like Zidane always likes to do now with maybe the inclusion of Isco here and there seemingly throughout the season, um, probably down to necessity more than anything. Um, but I'm, I, it's not like you can rule out Real Madrid. I, I'm not ready to say that this team is is out of the La Liga rate. You can't because we'll get to Atletico in, in a little bit, but l- let's assume for a second that this this race is between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Basically, the Clasico decides it. I mean, it, it realistically does. That's the only telling metric that you have between these two sides um, going into the last 10 games of the season. So I'm I'm not necessarily bullish on Madrid, but with Benzema back scoring at the rate that he continues to score at, combined with the fact that they seem to do the best when they have the most pressure on them, it's not, I can't rule them out. You just can't. Yeah. And I mean, again, Benzema fantastic in this game, right? Um, Two goals from him. The first goal, especially being the first goal 
was unbelievable by Cruz in the first place. Like, yeah, <laughs> you just kind of forget. It's you kind of forget how good that guy can be in the final third because a lot of his a lot of his best work is done in that middle third. You know, entering into the final third, playing the passes right. into the box and all the stuff, right? But it was it was just wonderful work from him. Um, and he plays like a no look pass to Benzema, who, of course, doesn't even think about it and 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 hits it with a set. It takes one touch and then another touch and, and places it perfectly. Just does, and, yeah. It's I I mean we're losing words to really talk about it. I, he's I, I, he's not on not on Lewandowski level. I, that is obviously that's such a high pedestal right now right now. But he's arguably since he's come back, he's arguably been the top, maybe the second best striker in in Europe, right? I, I think I think um, we saw Suarez scored over the weekend too, but. But I think Benzema has been the all-around better performer recently, and he's still putting in just he scored almost forty percent of Real Madrid's goals this season. So, yeah, it's it's, it's ridiculous, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why. Again, I'll say it time and time again: the reason why you see such a different form from Real Madrid when he is not in the squad is because you literally lose all of your goals. It, that's not a coincidence and let's so, play right yeah yeah oh yeah no it's a completely different side because you don't have a point man and i don't know if real madrid know how to operate with that one the one thing that i will say on kind of the debate on where benzema ranks right in the top strikers in the world right now i would disagree with you in saying that he is not on lewandowski's level because he is arguably doing more with less around him and That's that fair. is something that I think needs to be taken into account. And I'm not the, I'm not here to, you know, crap all over Kroos, Modric, Casemiro, the amazing midfield trio, but it's more about the supporting cast in the final third and, and his wingers, right? He went from, <laughs> he literally went from Ronaldo and Bale to Vinicius and Mariano, and quite <laughs> frankly, a broken hazard. So it's levels, levels, and he has stayed consistent throughout. That is something that I think is really, really impressive. For me, I think he's on Lewandowski's level right now in terms of scoring ability, in terms of contribution and valuableness to this team, and um, rumor has it that Ronaldo might be up for sale in the summer and Bale's coming back to Madrid. So... <laughs> just I'm get just the boys saying, back together. The, the boys are back in town, basically. that's <laughs> It's not going to happen, but if it does, oh my God, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's I think Benzema absolutely has a shout for, for being a top striker in the world. And the one, the one last point I'll make on Madrid, Rian, is on Hazard and his most recent injury right in the most bizarre location and quite honestly an injury i've never heard of in his back i think it's one that quite literally like dancers get it's not like it's not a common muscular <laughs> you know footballing injury um so i don't know how he managed to do that to himself and, and stay out another four or six weeks but i think this is the injury that has made zidane realize that he can no longer wait around for hazard and it's sad to say that but maybe I, i'm impartial to this in some ways but I, I feel like real madrid has offered more to hazard than hazard has offered to them right in terms of like just constantly waiting for him for the last year and a half to get up to health and to i guess wait and expect more from him when he comes back into the lineup just for this to repeatedly happen 
And I think they might have just realized that it, it, it's a sunk cost at this point, which is yeah. sad, but it's reality. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's unfair to say that that um, Madrid has given more to to Eden Hazard than he has to them. I mean, they've definitely they definitely net they are net negative in terms of money. That's for sure. <laughs> that's not even, even that's not even they can't even market him commercially right now. <laughs> so it, it's um they're definitely net negative in that sense. But no, you're right, and I and I wonder if this past weekend. Madrid played in a 4-4-2 with a diamond for the first time in a long time. They've been mostly 4-3-3 um, for most of this season, even when Hazard hasn't played. And I wonder if part of that is Zidane finally being like, you know, we know that without Hazard in the side, we don't really trust playing a 4-3-3 with the wingers that we have, right? And uh, right, I mean, we right. know that our, that that the biggest strength of this team is through the middle, as, as we noted with their center midfielders and, and their strikers, right? I, I mean, even playing Vinicius almost as a second striker this past weekend, pretty much. Um, but it, it's, it's, I think you're right. I, I think that it is time for them to kind of chalk the season for him. And they can't keep waiting for him. It, it, they can't keep waiting for him to come back for this season. It, it's maybe a question that they have to readdress in the summer, of course. But um, going forward for the rest of the season, if they want to win something substantial, they're going to have to find different ways to play um, and probably without traditional wingers. What a weird concept for Real Madrid, seriously. I'm very curious how they line up against Liverpool. Like that is that is I think going to be a very telling. I, I think we could see that same four four two. I mean, I, I think I'm we not... could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be used until the end of the season for sure. I'm very curious who lines up in the additional midfield spot. Um, my guess was... is Isco, but yeah, I, it was Fetty Valverde. It was Valverde over the weekend, right? And um, it, yeah, it will be interesting to see who they throw in against Liverpool because you're knowing how Liverpool's midfield operates. You're gonna probably want a bit more athleticism in there to deal with the. Press, that that's right? exactly that's exactly true. Um, I don't know. I I think it's a fine balance, especially for this Liverpool side. Can you get them? I guess not necessarily on the break, but can you get them to open up with Isco, or do you need to have essentially a Hoiberg just type player <laughs> in the middle of the field? So I don't know. I don't know. It'll be curious, but anyway. Rian, let's take a break because I need to gather my thoughts before I just rant about Atletico and their woes. So, BRB. All right, Rian, let's talk Atleti. I'm ready. My body is ready to just destroy this team mentally and verbally. <laughs> they obviously oh, are listening to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll definitely get them mentally. <laughs> of course <laughs> how could i not but yeah rian let's talk about atletico because they're quite frankly continuing to underimpress. like i think the best way that i would describe watching you know the atletico game over the weekend they're playing a team they arguably should be in valid lead they're playing a team that quite frankly <laughs> should this game shouldn't have been a contest and they somehow made this game a contest. 
they they made it open-ended like to, they inflicted this on themselves and it feels like every game that atletico has played in the last month has been up for grabs to, re- regardless of the opponent like it could be chelsea it could be valid the lead it could be ibar it doesn't matter and fundamentally this is just a problem i never thought that would exist in an atletico in an simeone side where mentally this team almost struggles to play the way that they would like they almost recede back into a shell of collapsing it'll just collapsement i don't even know if collapsement is the word but they just <laughs> implode it's implosion that's the word implosion. Implosion. there you go yeah, yeah um and that that's just not something i'm used to in atletico side and maybe honestly this international break will be really really good for them to just get a fresh slate because the league is still in their hands i mean i'll get to in a second why maybe that's not the case but in terms of actual games right the league is still in their hands but i mean thoughts on let's start with kind of the second leg against chelsea i know we talked about it in the, the premier league pod but just from the spanish side what did you make of of atletico in, in that game I well, first of all, I think they they played Deportivo uh, instead of. Oh my god, they played Alaves. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah, one, well, they won one nil against Alaves. Not uh, thank you for that, jeez. Uh. Oh yeah, but but you're right. Before we get on to that, from the from their perspective of the uh, the second leg of the Chelsea game, right? Um, I don't know. I I expected them to come out the the way they they did in the first 10 15 minutes um for atletico where they came out and they pressed very very high and i think i even remarked to um to my roommate saying that this is actually the perfect not the perfect game but this is this is a game that Rafaelix will be actually very happy that they have to play this way <laughs> that he was like he'll be secretly very happy that they came into this leg down a goal cuz like oh we're going to have to actually try to play in the final third <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um but a- after maybe a couple nervy movements for chelsea including one where i do think that that's to think you could see that called almost that's put to pull back against against um yana carrasco I-, I think it's a 50 50 and you and you could see it called almost anywhere else right um but in the end of the day, they, they, they didn't call it, and that's kind of part of the thing that you need to in the, in these knockout stages is just a little luck. And Chelsea got lucky. Bit, just little, yeah. Like I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, fault against it. Like Chelsea got lucky with that decision, of course, but um, you can't really argue that the result itself was undeserved from Atletico's side, right? Even yeah, dodgy calls and 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 obviously the red card later was was a beautiful acting job from tony Rudiger. He, he, absolutely ridiculous he's, he's like he's he's in a second life he'll he'd be like eddie murphy and eddie murphy reincarnate right um but it, from the atletico's, the yeah <laughs> from atletico's side you can't you can't say that they deserved anything more than they got from that game than a loss right um even after that 15 minutes of putting actual pressure on it seemed like it completely dissipated after that. I think yeah. there were a couple of times they, that we even saw either when Jao Felix or Luis Suarez actually went up and tried to do the high press, and it was broken through the, through his line, right? He turns around and sees there's no one else pressing from the midfield. 
and and throws his arms up and and i i think that game's not a great one for the um career highlight reel of of sal Miguez and and coke at the yeah point. really really poor in that game from in just about every sense um on the ball off so it kind of gives you a little window into a team that is not playing at full confidence right now and and is not in the best form and I feel like I did predict a couple, maybe about a month ago, that I thought that they were going to limp their way to the finish line here. And it feels <laughs> like that's what's happening right now. And unfortunately for them, they still have two, or at least, sorry, one massive, massive game. Or two massive games, if we throw in Sevilla, of course. Um, two massive, massive games still left this season. And while they do have their destiny in their own hands, I think what Elias was alluding to is that they basically can't they they probably can't afford dropping more than maybe three points for the rest of the season yeah i mean i mean you talked about the chelsea result it really outside of that 15 minutes very poor from atletico i mean really really poor there was no chemistry there was and granted i give a lot of credit to chelsea's midfielders for that it's not it wasn't all atletico just not playing properly it was truly a, a good performance from Tuchel and, and Chelsea so I have to give them credit there but Atletico did just not show up in the way that you would expect and that 15 minute spell where you thought that maybe Jao Felix could for example you know get that shot away and maybe it slips by Mendy it a little bit of luck didn't go their way and maybe it's a different conversation at that point but even then I didn't even feel like if Atletico scored that they were in this like it didn't it didn't feel dominant in any way because they kept losing the ball every maybe 15 seconds after receiving especially in that first half and they didn't really create much up front through Suarez and he was taken off in the 60 something minute because of that um and quite frankly I think he just laughed it off because that's exactly how you have to react in those situations when you're you're Luis Suarez but yes to go to go back to your point this is the point I want to make just kind of looking at Atletico's upcoming schedule where they can actually win La Liga they arguably have the hardest schedule of the top three teams right now competing for the title they have I would say five games that they could easily drop points at first one Sevilla coming up next Sunday second one Real Batiste obviously in great form and it's well an away game so playing at the benito via marine is not easy granted no fans but still real batiste are in great form thirdly barcelona fourthly real sociedad and fifth athletic club or bilbao so those five games they could it's not a, it's not an immediate win. I'm not saying they're going to lose or draw or drop points during those games, but it is absolutely not an immediate win during those games. And you said it best yourself. They can max afford to drop three points between now and the end of the season. You draw two of those games, you've already dropped four points. So, I mean, they're in a really, really tough position. And I, I really am getting nervous about Atletico winning this title. I really am because we... They could be out of the title race in about two and a half weeks. They really could after the Betis game. Like if I'm, I'm just throwing that out there, it would not shock me if that happened. Yeah, I mean, look, we even we saw it last summer where where it, it Madrid were second, Barcelona were first, 
and it didn't feel confident. It didn't feel like a confident lead, right? And and especially because of the form that Barcelona was in going into the um going into like the return of the leagues, right? And it can happen. Like just nine games, nine games. I know Atletico are in nothing else, so that should help them, obviously, right? To to have their minds only on this, but so will Barcelona, right? And these are going to be hard games where being out of form and lacking a bit of confidence it can really cost them because of the opponents that they're that they're coming up against they're coming up against three teams that are fighting for fourth sorry fighting for the the european places right in sevilla sociedad and betis and i don't know i mean they they're, they're they're not going to be, I think, allowed to limp to the end of it here because of, like you said, their schedule. I mean, even this past weekend, I, as as much as I, I think the penalty call itself was weird, um, and, and quite tic tac for for Stefan Savic, but it still took a great save from Jan Oblak to keep them in, and maybe that'll be the catalyst of this of this back half of the season. Maybe that will spur them on. Um, and kind of play with more confidence when they come out of the break, right? But you said it. There there are some really tough games coming up for them, and they're going to be challenged in a very different way because they're the front runners, and they're going to have to actually go out and win those games. Like, like you said, drawing will not be enough. Like, they will have to go out and and actively push to win those games. It, they're they're I, I I am also like a little nervous. I'm a little nervous for them too, because of all of the other implications that might come with that and, and kind of the storylines that will come with that because it'll look horrible for Diego Simeone, obviously. But I still really think a lot about like the Jao Felix part of this too, where it, where if at the end of this season they don't win a win the title. It'll feel like he didn't develop as much as he should have been able to. And it'll feel like the team kind of failed too. So the double whammy of that, I think, would be really devastating for a lot of Atletico fans. Yeah, I guess I hadn't even thought about the Simeone part of this, which is he is in all likelihood maybe not going to return to Atletico. I mean, results aside, like... He very well might not return to to, Bar- or to Barcelona to Atletico, just given his tenure there and the kind of a lack of upward mobility at that point. It's there's a lot I didn't realize there's a lot riding on the next ten to twelve weeks for Atletico. There really is in the league. I mean, that's all they're fighting for at this point. But in the league, there is so much left. So I, I can agree with you more. Um, this is going to be this is going to be very season defining for them and. I think Xiao Felix will probably stay and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, time, he doesn't have much of a choice. That contract. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. No, no, no. His contract <laughs> is locked in. But at the same time. years. My God. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, they need, they do need a change. Yeah. They need, they need a freshness. The, the Alex Ferguson freshness, that's as we like to allude to. But they're still at the top for now. They're still, still at the, the top. top. And they could go on a tear, but I'm, I'm not confident. So. Anyway, Rian, that wraps up most of what I wanted to get to. Um, just wanted to touch on Sevilla just quickly, who did actually yeah, play. Had to end with something a little light. 
and end yeah. up with a light. A little, a little bit of happiness coming out of Sevilla. I mean, since they they went on that spell of games lost against Barcelona, and they went on to lose to Elche, and then lost to Dortmund in the Champions League, it was a pretty rough couple of weeks for Sevilla in the beginning of March, yeah, kind of end of February. But then they went on to win the Seville Derby against Real Betis last weekend, or I guess 10 days ago now. And this past week, I think it was exactly a week ago, they played Elche 1-2-0. So, you're Sevilla. You're going on a run run of form. You're thinking, oh, we're up against Valladolid, who I confused with Atletico, but you're up against Valladolid. You're playing over the weekend, a game that you should win away from home, but... You're down 1-0, it's the 89th minute, and a season that you need to keep intact in order to stay in the top four. So, none other than Europe- European Sevilla saver, Bono. A man that came into the Sevilla team about a year and a half ago after Sergio Rico left, and after he was, quite frankly, the second-string keeper, and got into the starting spot due to injury or due to an injury from, from the first choice keeper, Bono, a Moroccan goalie playing in Spain and (laughs) speaking with an Argentinian accent, scoring an equalizer in the 93rd minute of this game to become the 14th, I believe the 14th keeper in La Liga or the 14th goal scored in La Liga by a goalkeeper, which is just, outstanding i mean the goal too is like (laughs) it's it's a great hit like let's be honest it was not it was not some like sweaty goal that managed to scrape its way in it was it was a full-blown shot and it was well hit so i have to give him (laughs) just credit for that wow for him it truly was a beautiful day what no 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 uh, I'm not. I'm not having any YouTube jokes in in the body. I'm fully editing that out. Cheese. All right. Well, if you want to stoop that low, that's on you. But uh, uh, I had to, I had to shout Bono out. Lovely. No, no, no. Of course. I, I, that was it. That was it. All right. That was all. It, it was. Okay, it was okay. an awesome. It was an awesome, awesome moment because the ball almost goes out for a second. And yeah. Then, it's like a, it's like a, um it's like a finesse finish a bit at the end there, right? So <laughs> it's like the uh, I have the no R- idea if he's left footed too, but it's the RB. I I think he is. Yeah, I think he's right footed, but it's like the RB plus B shot on FIFA on your Xbox where you just finesse it, finesse it with a, a curler and it just manages to scrape by. Oh, and I love it. Amazing. I love it. Pulled off his jersey to reveal yet another orange shirt under him, which was yeah. hilarious too. The creativity. I mean, I don't think you really go into a game expecting you're going to score as a goalkeeper at the end with a, a message underneath. So I can give him, <laughs> I can give him a little. I mean, bit of that slack. would have been extremely impressive if he had a message <laughs> under it, and he's just been wearing it for every single game of his career in case he finally gets a goal. But yeah. Uh, Amazing, amazing. No, actually, he was wearing it specifically for this game, and uh, he's now under <laughs> investigation by the Spanish League for being a wizard. Yeah, that would have been amazing. But no, it, it, impressive stuff. And by the way, I will mention, there have been other keepers that have scored in La Liga and scored multiple times, in fact. I mean, that's largely due to penalties or to set pieces. But Bono's goal was technically the first ever open play goal scored by a keeper. In, in Spain. So 
uh, that weird to... phase of play thing because the ball yeah. technically, yeah, I see, I, I see it. It's it's a stretch uh, for sure because <laughs> everyone is still in the in the penalty area from the True. corner kick. But True. I like it. I like it for the history books. It is it is something really really impressive. So that's uh that's all I've got, Rian, from just a wild last ten days in Spain, and it never gets old. So. Thank you, as always, everyone, for listening. And uh, we will be back after probably the international break at some point. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll get back to you soon. But thank Recharge. you, guys, as always. Recharge and uh, get to Seriously. the US, U.S. national team. Ooh, lovely. Thanks, Can't guys. Can't wait. <laughs>